0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
1: Last month, more than a dozen Northeast Ohio music venues announced new safety protocols that require concertgoers to show proof of COVID-19 vaccination or a negative test to attend shows. Those requirements go into effect this week. For this episode of CLE Rocks, I sat down with local venue owners Sean Watterson of Happy Dog, Cindy Barber of Beachland Ballroom and Tavern, Gabriel Pollock of The Bob Stop and Nate Offerdal of Westside Bowl in Youngstown about what led them to this point and what it's been like running a concert venue during the pandemic. I'm Troy L. Smith with Cleveland.com and you're listening to the music podcast from the birthplace of rock and roll.
2: Hello, Cleveland!
1: Let's start with the news. Uh, that you guys, along with several other venues in Northeast Ohio, are now requiring uh, proof of vaccination or proof of a negative test to get into shows. What has this last few weeks been like? Because, you know, in July, things started to seem like they were getting back to normal to some extent. And now, you know, that stress creeps back in that was there at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, Cindy, I'll start with you.
2: Um. I really have a hard time telling you because it's uh, it's like okay, take your tenth new shoring up power <laughs> once again to get through this. I mean, this is. I mean, thankfully, we are all in this together, and we talk to each other all the time because, frankly, I think we just need support right now because this is like we opened we were all excited about opening and then this is happening and it just seems to be getting worse um, every day. Uh, So it's it's difficult. It's incredibly difficult.
1: Sean, I wanted to ask you. You've talked about a lot of the public funds finally coming in and seeing this benefit, where you can pay bills and pay employees. And now with the Delta variant surging, what kind of position are you guys in again?
3: It's it's difficult. Um, you know, there, there are the practical difficulties of having to uh, having to have the extra protocols in place. Um, you know, with staff, but also uh, obviously with with customers coming through. Um, um, but from a morale perspective, you know, we were closed uh, or near closed, most of us, for close to a year and a half. And opening up was great. And the initial numbers were great. But the concerns there, and then, you know, even though not all of us have actually gotten the SVOG funds yet um, that's taken much longer than than we anticipated when we got the bill passed back in December of last year you know we were fortunate we we um, we got funded in mid-july um, but for emergency funding that, that's a pretty long delay um, so, Some of the financial pressure is off a bit. Um, But keep in mind that, you know, a lot of that funding was to cover the losses we experienced being closed um, nine months of 2020 and really the first six months of 2021. So it definitely helps in dealing with, the down numbers that i think a lot of us are seeing um with concerns about delta um, but you know from a morale perspective you know we we all got into this because we loved bringing people together over music and that's what's exciting and that's what the payoff is is a room full of people enjoying music and that that just got harder so um, you know, like Cindy said We're picking ourselves up off the mat and, and fighting through this But, you know, this is like This is like one of those Rocky movies Where, you know, the haymakers are, are cinematic And, you know, you don't think in real life Anybody's going to get up from, <laughs> you know, 10 rounds of that But um, that's what we're doing
1: Gabe, you and I have talked several times throughout the pandemic, and I actually had talked to a bunch of restaurant owners for a story I worked on early on last year when the pandemic hit, where they compared this to, you know, the recession years ago. But as time has gone on, obviously, I'm guessing this, there's nothing to compare this to, right? This is just a different kind of beast for you guys.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's because this has so many different phases. So it's, there's never, there's still every time you think there's an end in sight there's just another phase that comes along so we are trying to think ahead all the time but you know originally it was for us it was how do we go virtual then how do we open then how do we you know reschedule everything and now with all the variants and every few months there's just another thing thrown into the mix so i feel like they're kind of cindy's kind of said it but you know the, this 10th time of revving our engines it's like Every time we get moving, we just have to kind of two steps forward, one step backwards, and it's it's kind of like when when will how long will this continue with these you know through
1: these different phases so Cindy, let me ask you this: how difficult was it for you guys to institute this new policy where you have concert goers show up with you know, a copy of their vaccination card or a copy of a negative test, not just from a logistical standpoint for you guys to institute this, but dealing with the potential backlash that comes from it?
2: Well, I mean, we are just, we're still dealing with that. I mean, you know, we collectively made the decision to, go this direction, which was great because there were what 14 or 15 of us that at least we had strength in numbers that they couldn't like just isolate one person and say all the hate mail to to one venue. But we're all experiencing a a lot of negative um, kickback um, against it, although most of the people are positive. Well, I would say that, you know, it's probably 80% positive thanking us for putting, for instituting this and people saying that they are going to feel safer because of what we did. But the the loudness of the 15 or 20% that are anti-vaccination and, you know, want ultimate freedom and don't care don't seem to care about, you know, how this might affect other people, um, is they're very loud. They're very loud.
1: (laughs) Did it surprise you how loud that negative feedback was? And I'm guessing it's from a lot of people who aren't customers, potential customers or people that would necessarily go to your concerts.
2: Yeah, I think that's true. Actually, Troy, I mean, uh, Sean and I were on, um, a national NEVA call last week and you know this is happening across the country at, at venues all over the place and some venues were saying that um, they actually traced some of their negative calls and that it was coming from other states that it's oh. like an organized anti-vaccination um, m- movement against all kinds of places that are putting this in place right Sean?
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you if you trace back on Facebook posts or if you, you know, save the caller ID and you try and trace back, you do see a lot of it's coming not from not from the people who've been going to shows. I'll put it that way. And, you know, it took it took somebody posted <clears> a <throat> page for me to take a step back and take a look, you know, the really vocal responses and the really vitriolic ones jump out and those are the ones you focus on but but when i looked at the reactions on the happy dog facebook page there were close to 750 reactions 550 people liked our posting on our policy 175 people loved it less than 10 people reacted negatively and i think when when you take a step back and and look at the Positive comments coming from the people who you know are either musicians performing, local musicians who are performing in all of our venues, or regular concert goers. The overwhelming response from that group of people has been positive. Um, you know, some questions around the edges on on, on timing and exactly how it's going to work, but but for the people who are actually going to shows and supporting the musicians and supporting us as venues, the reaction's been, been pretty overwhelmingly positive. It's it's uh, you know, the trolls are the trolls are the trolls.
1: Let me bring Nate in here out of Youngstown. You know, when you look back, we had COVID start in 2020, you guys obviously were adjusting to something that never happened before. You get through it. It does seem like things are getting back to normal. And now it's like we're back to square one. What is it like dealing with this now, the Delta variant surge on a day-to-day basis?
4: Uh, first of all, hello to everybody up in Cleveland. Uh, I don't get to see you guys at all, and that's probably the shittiest part about this, is that this this is a job that's, that's very time-consuming to begin with, and over the last two years, it's, it's all encompassing. So I rarely get to leave Youngstown, so hi to everybody. To your question, um, For a couple of weeks, I've been waking up with this really eerie, oh my God, it's February 2020 feeling in the pit of my stomach all over again. Um, And I can't seem to shake it. I know that everyone on this call and the majority of folks in the business are trying like hell to do everything possible to keep us from, from ending up closed or postponing shows again. But I, I can't shake the feeling that, you know, the, the folks that are outside of our control are going to play a major role in whether we get through the fall and winter completely open uh, or not. Having said that, I mean, we're planning to, to roll everything out on September 7th, like the folks from Cleveland already have for the most part. And we're, we're staunchly um, going to enforce it. And if that means that we sacrifice a little short-term business for the long-term stability of the arts and entertainment infrastructure in the state of Ohio and the United States more broadly, then that's what we're going to do. I know everyone on this call sacrificed business over the last 15 months by, by being very forceful in how we enforce the policy, either by being closed or, or in our part, when we were partially open, being very strict about mask mandates and everything else. So, Um, I, I guess it's focusing on the stuff you can control and hoping like hell that, that Pfizer becoming, you know, FDA approved will help a little, um, and people being excluded from things they want to do will help a little bit more. Um, it remains to be seen.
1: You know, you mentioned February and I look back at that time. I think it was March actually where DeWine, Governor DeWine had put, you know, the stop, on large gal- gatherings, with, which obviously affected you guys directly. And I remember calling Beachland Ballroom, Cindy, and, you know, that night and asking about a show you had going on. And the person who answered the phone was like, yeah, hey, we have our show going on. And I just said, well, DeWine just put this ban on gatherings. And I could sense that shock to the system. How's that, that feeling at that point back then compare to now where you guys are, are instituting this new policy uh, with the Delta surge going on. Can I spin yep. that a
0: little bit? Sure, sure. I think um, I that was like really hard and really shocking because we had never seen anything like that. And that was a lot. I mean, it was a lot to process. Like, what? We're just going to be closed? Like, we're forced to? At the same time, that was the law. And there was a framework to work within where we knew what the law was, that's very different than today, where the announcement we just made, unlike a New York City or some cities in California that where the government is getting involved with these rules, this, this came from our local music economy. We made this decision without the government oversight. And when with DeWine's power being stripped away and the inability to to quickly get laws passed and leaving that up to into businesses is mu- in in many ways much more and for me it's much more stressful and uh like hard on my just like my personal well-being because it forces us to be become not only you know the music lovers and promoters that we all are but health officials and then dealing with the public and we're the although we're we're the workplace for so many different aspects of the music industry that when we make this announcement it tends to reflect just on us but this was pretty carefully thought up, thought out between agencies performers other venue operators our own patrons it wasn't just like oh we just want to do this you know it's no one wants to do it it's just what what we feel needs to be done so it's it's pretty interesting comparing it back to you know a year and a half ago in March, because I would say in at that time that was crazy and shocking, but now that almost seems like that seems like a completely different pandemic than than the one we're dealing with now.
3: Everything that Gabe said is absolutely true. Cause I and and the one thing I would add is I remember that second week. and second week of march where we were all each individually having to make decisions and being being incredibly stressed out trying to figure out what is safe for for our staff and you know having to make these decisions by ourselves so when the governor stepped in um, you know it was actually a big sigh of relief like we're not the ones in the position of having to make this decision. And to Gabe's point, I think the difference between February, 2020 and now is at least within the music economy, we realized, you know, we made connections Um, to Nate's point, you know, he's down in Youngstown and each of us are stuck in our venues when we're open um, because it's, it's an overwhelming amount of work to keep uh, the machine running. Um, but we, we we were able to connect during COVID. So when government didn't act this time around, and we had to, we didn't have to do it individually. We had the support of each other and the other venues. And it's still stressful, you know, and it's not as easy as snapping your fingers getting 15 15 different venues on the same page for the same policy, but we did it. And, you know, I think we're, we're, we see it first and we react to it first and and we catch the heat for it first in, in some cases, but it's because we're, we're on the front lines like that. So, but Cindy, I know you, you wanted to. Yeah,
2: I mean, I think that um this time around right now it, it it's kind of like what nate's saying i mean i'm having more anxiety right now i think because you're almost like looking you're looking at the wave coming from a, across the sea and it's heading towards you and you're not exactly sure what you're going to do you know how you're going to jump out of the way because um it, the, it seems like it's heating up, like the Delta variant is heating up. I mean, we created this policy and I'm now second guessing our policy and going, oh, well, we probably should have everybody wear masks. And who's going to come to our club? Because who? I if I, was, if I had a six-year-old kid, there's no way I would go out to see music right now because I might be taking Delta variant back to my six-year-old child. So I don't blame anybody for getting a refund. I'm going to have to get more refunds it's like there's so much spinning around in in your head like how do you how do you process this and and for the first time in a really long time I'm like I don't know if I can do this I don't know if I can hang in there through this 10th wave this is like way hard
1: how foreign of a concept was it for you guys because maybe it's me just covering music for the last 15 years and seeing you guys as sort of the indie people you know the the edgy people you know supporting the music scene specifically but now you're uh you know activists and advocates really pushing for this support from the government for music venues and arts venues how foreign of that is it for you guys to to flip into that role of doing that because i look at someone like you sean now and i see all the work you've done in the past year and a half and it's like man Sean Watterson for mayor, you know, you could, you could legit run for mayor.
3: Well, um, thank you. <laughs>
1: Mr. Um, <laughs> hey, you Cleveland arts prize winner, you know, I, uh, respect. <laughs> thank you for that too. <laughs>
3: um, I mean, you know, we, we all come at it with different experiences and, and, you know, my checkered past is involves a lot of working in government. Uh, I, I, mm-hmm was a lawyer for Securities and Exchange Commission. And I was involved in in a lot of policy work and a lot of negotiating work. And so some of this came naturally to me um, in terms of, of getting together and organizing. I will say the, the scale nationally and even across Ohio uh, was kind of mind boggling how how much people spoke out in support, and how quickly Neva came together from nothing um, to a nationwide organization with over 3,000 members. Um, but if you look across venues, you've got a lot of community organizers who are just organizing the community inside their walls and, and outside their walls. I mean, you know, Cindy, Cindy was. Cindy's been a community activist for as long as Cindy's been out of college, you know, a journalist and then uh, deeply involved in the creation and sustaining of the Waterloo Arts District. Um, you know, we, we are neighborhood hubs, not just economically, because we're, we're throwing events every night and bringing people to our neighborhoods to then do things in other places in the neighborhood but you know i i was on the gordon square arts district board for a long time and um you know our special improvement district we're we're activists kind of by nature and so if you take away what usually takes up 80 hours a week of our time and tell us that we might be we might never be able to do it again you got a lot of people with 80 plus hours a week <laughs> ready to throw into something and that's that's how that's how save our stages got passed
1: you know there's been a lot of talk publicly about then the finances, the, the jobs in every industry, really. But as business owners and music venue owners specifically, what have been some of the challenges that people might not know about that we haven't seen during this whole pandemic for you guys?
2: Well, dealing with the bands, you know, I mean, the reality is, is that we had to maintain, you know, like a staff, four or five people at the Beachland even throughout the whole shutdown and. Most of what James and Mark were doing was just fielding emails. And some of the shows that that were like last March or April got moved four times. So we thought we were going to be back in the fall. Then the spike went up again. So there was a show that had been in March that had moved to November. Then we moved it to like April. And then the spike went on too long now it's like now it's next year now that now it's in 2022 so you're trying to communicate with the fans and you're trying to communicate with those ticket holders and say the show's not canceled we're not giving you a refund because you now have to hold on to that ticket for a year and a half and remember that that show that you bought back in like February of last year is now like in April of 2022. And it might still get moved to 2023. That's the reality right now.
1: Cindy, you mentioned, you know, this concert might not happen till, you know, X amount of months or years even uh, from now. How do you guys approach each of you uh, when it comes to planning ahead, not knowing when things are going to come close to getting back to normal?
3: I think you're going to get at least four different answers on this call. And that's because, you know, the majority of what we do, we're, we're probably 70, 75 percent of what we do is local to northeast Ohio with a big circle drawn around it. So we're not seeing the same kind of uh, cancel and reschedules that somebody who's doing national talent three, four nights a week, like um, Cindy or. You know chris zitterbart over at the agora or um, house of blues or, or kathy at the grog shop you know the more national your your base is the longer it's going to take for that ecosystem to recover because each of those bands is making a decision they're they're looking at um they're looking at their at their bottom line and and frankly, their enjoyment of it and making a decision at some point, you know, this is too hard. So we're going to shut it down. You know, we saw that with Nine Inch Nails, shutting it down. Um, and the people who rely on that end are are going to be hit hard and take time to recover. I think it it kind of it, it has unintended impacts throughout the system because if the national acts aren't on tour, then there's more demand for the local stuff. That um, you know, places like ours that have specialized in that suddenly are are competing in a different um, arena for that talent. And how much of that talent is still comfortable going out and playing? And I don't think we know how that's going to play itself out. So where you see the biggest impact is, is the people who were doing those big national tours. Um, But the ripple effects are going to go in a bunch of different directions. And until, until the top end settles back into some kind of normalcy, um, the rest of it's going to be impacted.
1: And I I
3: think it's going to take at least a couple of years. I would think, you know, it's optimistic to say that 2023 is going to look like 2019 just because, you know, people are going to be somewhat cautious, especially the people who booked tours now and are having to cancel them. Um, They're going to, they're going to think a lot harder about when, When it is they're going to go out and how many dates they're going to do and um so that's a lot of me talking so i'm (laughs) passing on to the others
4: We're, we're sort of in a similar boat that primarily we do get some national acts through here but a lot of it is local and regional um so we're not you know we're not seeing as as many cancellations late in our year we had several bands that reached out And that that we're asking, you know, what's your vaccination policy going to be what, you know, uh, and that's sort of what pushed us towards, you know, under normal circumstances without the support and guidance of the guys in Cleveland, I don't know that this would have been the decision that we would have made, or at least it wouldn't have been the timing what may have been different, but because we felt compelled, not compelled, but because we felt a deep sense of responsibility to be on the same page with everyone that we share the, you know, the region with, uh, that was a big part of helping us make what we know is the right decision. Um, as far as how it looked, I mean, I, I was scrolling through Instagram, to Sean's point, I was scrolling through Instagram yesterday. And every time I die, uh, sort of like a hardcore band from Buffalo, Buffalo New York. Posted- I'm from so- Western New York
3: originally. Sorry. I, <laughs> no,
4: no, I, I love them more. That they're one of my favorite bands and the greatest guys ever. But they posted on Instagram a show that they're doing locally in Buffalo real soon. And just the list of protocols involved getting into the show. It was you had to, have, you had to be vaccinated and you had to have a negative test within 36 hours of the show. They were setting up a rapid test tent in the parking lot. From four to seven prior to the show and it just kept going on and on and on and on and i i read that and part of me is like damn those guys are taking this serious good on them that's how it should be everywhere and then i took a step back i'm like who the hell is gonna pay for all that like mm-hmm. how, should we even if that's what the if that's what the gold standard is should we be doing this at all like i i don't know it's i have a hard time with it sometimes when you look at what constitutes safe it makes it really hard to do day-to-day business in this place because I I have this you know we had a a show a couple weekends ago it was a hardcore show there was 175 people climbing on top of each other like grabbing the mic from the singer and going crazy and for five minutes it was the most awesome thing I'd witnessed in (laughs) years and the rest of the time I felt like I was being so irresponsible that we should get shut down like I, I just it's just that push and pull of what we can and can't do versus what we should and shouldn't do is real. It, it like I said, it's really adds to the frustration and anxiety. And for me, same with Sean, sort of this idea that it's just going to take a really long time to get back to anything. that looks like 2019 or
1: before. Gabe, I'll send this question to you because you and I talked a few times during the pandemic, and I know the Bob Stop was, you know, in the process of setting up a streaming system and looking at other avenues for revenue. And you guys have really done multiple things during this to try to stay afloat. I hate using the word positive, but but what kind of positives are there? Positives that have come out of this entire thing for you guys, that you can take, you know, moving forward.
0: There were a few. Um, well, like generally speaking. I mean, the all the I mean, the camaraderie that everyone's been talking about, whether it's national with Neva or local with Cleveland Music Club Coalition, um, that's a huge positive Um, more, um, I guess, Bob Stop specific. We did install live streaming equipment and those streams were great and helped us pay bands and earn revenue for the club throughout the pandemic. Not, it wasn't, you know, nearly the same as an in-person show, but, um, even not, not thinking financially, it at least felt good to offer gigs and see people and stay in people's minds throughout the pandemic. Even if there was shows with nobody in the audience, uh, with those streams we did, uh, I did do some editing and created a radio show. It's called Live at the Bob Stop, and I pitched it. I mean, college, essentially college and non-commercial radio stations. Uh, back, I was checking it out in January. They had so much dead air because students weren't on campus. So I kind of created. Uh, I took these the recordings from the live streams, chopped them up, recorded intros, outros, sent them to a database of about 700 um, radio stations and we're now being broadcast on 13 stations in eight different states, six days a week. And, um, that's definitely something cool that's happened. Um, those shows feature all pretty much all local groups that played during the pandemic. Um, and we're getting them on, we're getting them airplay. So we have, uh, four seasons in the can that's 64 episodes. Um, so that that was like kind of cool, I guess. You know, it's a positive. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, um, but that's about that's really about it. Honestly, I mean, it's it's really. I feel. I mean, I know we're trying to be positive here, but I know everyone else on the call can talk more about the lo- You know, like the and the long term positive effects of the lobbying efforts is huge. I mean, that is, I mean, the Neva will be a game changer for years to come. And even locally in Cleveland, the restructuring of this assembly for the arts is a, is a huge change for Cleveland. And all of that is born. I mean, we've been talking about this stuff. I feel like for a very long time, but the pandemic really made everything, you know, it was an act of desperation and a lot of things that had more red tape seemed to, I don't know. We just, we got shit done. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, I mean, yeah. it's really cool that it happened. Um, it's it's really cool. So
1: no, I definitely respect what you guys have done, uh, not just from a business standpoint, but, but from an advocacy standpoint, during this pandemic it's such a hard time for you guys as business owners and music venue owners um and i think about doing that in the face of you know like nate describes the paranoia and the anxiety that comes with uncertain times
2: thanks joy yeah i mean the the reality is is that i don't know what people i don't think people know how to react right now out there in the community i mean we got so much love when we were completely shut down i mean the beachland really survived those first few months on merchandise sales i mean we pivoted and did an online merch sale you know we we made t-shirts we made pint glasses and people bought them like crazy and it really was the only thing that we had the only income we had for months um so there was this groundswell but right now i don't i think people aren't exactly sure they don't quite understand the dilemma that we're in because they think oh they're open everything's back um but yet they shouldn't be open because there's this delta variant going on and now what's going to happen um and i think we we need to get the message out so i appreciate you you talking to us and maybe helping to share that that um, be kind and gentle to to yeah. the venue owners.
1: <laughs> no, I'm happy to do it, and, and my entire team uh, with Cleveland.com is happy to do it because, you know, I think if anything, if nothing else, really, um, this is shot, put a light on how important you guys are to this community. And, and like I said, I'm happy to do it. And I know a lot of music goers, the um, concert love, concert goers and music lovers are happy to to get out there and support you guys during this time.
3: I I would just Add one thing before we close, and it's building on on what Gabe and and Cindy said. You know, I the, the SBA publishes the figures every Monday on uh, how much has been distributed, and it breaks it down by geography. And you know, the state of Ohio has gotten two hundred and fifty six million dollars so far, and Northeast Ohio has gotten eighty six million so far. In shuttered venue operator grant funds, um, and that's based on the work that the people who run clubs our size did, and I think you know that's just a testament to the the level of impact that we have. Once once we had the time to focus on on our existence, we were able to to do that and. You know, I, I estimate that Northeast Ohio, when it's all said and done, when the supplemental grants come through, we're gonna be looking at about $115 million that we brought to small businesses and big nonprofits in the area. And what I think one of the positives, and Gabe touched on this with Assembly for the Arts is that we've redefined what arts and culture is. I think people have traditionally, in part because of the way we've been able to raise money locally through the cigarette tax for, um, for nonprofit arts and culture institutions, we've kind of defaulted to thinking of that as arts and culture, but a lot of the arts and culture happens in spaces like ours. And we saw with the pandemic, um, with the CARES Act funding, that funded not just the nonprofits, but um, clubs like ours, uh, and then the individual musicians, that approach to looking at it as the creative industries and the creative workforce, not just the traditional old concepts of arts and culture um, is a big improvement. And, and we'll see, um, you know, we've, we were the first group to meet publicly with Jeremy Johnson, the new head of the assembly for the arts. Um, and he's he's been vocal about, about the role of independent venues and musicians and artists as part of the overall ecosystem of arts and culture. And I think that's one of the big, I hope lasting positives that come out of this is that we understand that, that um, approaching things from uh, an inclusive approach and an an attitude of abundance rather than an attitude of scarcity, fighting over, oh, these are the only resources that exist and and we're gonna hold on to ours and we're not gonna share, um, is a much healthier approach. And that's what I really hope to see carry forward.
1: Thank you to everyone for listening to this episode of CLE Rocks. Big shout out to Sean, Cindy, Gabe, and Nate for joining me to talk about their struggles during this pandemic as venue owners. Join us next week as we'll look at the current state of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ceremony this year, still set to take place in Cleveland on October 30th. Until next time, I'm Troy L. Smith with Cleveland.com. Enjoy.